everyone, and welcome to Minute 20 of Season 5 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee ki our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today to finish off week number four is Alan Sanders of The Wild Ride. Welcome back to the show, Alan. Thank you so much for having me back. It's been a great week so far. Yeah, I've, I've been having a lot of fun. Hope. Hopefully you have. Hopefully the, the listeners also have. I, I think that's the most important thing, not just that you and I have a fun time, but that everyone listening to our conversations uh, enjoys what, what they're hearing. So, Well, you know, there would be no point in us doing it if they didn't. That is correct. Completely agree with you on that. So Minute 20 begins with uh, Miller continuing to make excuses and ends mm-hmm. with Lorenzo yelling at John. So yesterday we we ended things off with uh, you know Miller finally showing back up, you know he's he's uh, he's been a little uh, out of out of sync for a little while, you know he he got hit by a bike earlier this week uh, and and a bicycle bell at the same time and in the end he was able to finally you know get away, and you know we saw yesterday that he showed up back at the church, and uh, you know we got the oh man from from uh, Baker, Cochran wasn't there anymore. Colonel Stewart started asking him what's going on, and you know he he started to to talk a little bit, and then he got cut off because the minute ended. So he he started saying some cop killed Cochran. I barely got away, mm-hmm. sir. And Stewart looks at him and goes, "Well, did you accomplish your mission?" You know he's he's really a no nonsense type of guy. I mean, which which makes sense. It's it is the type of, of commander that you want to have. You know, you, you and I have both been in the military. You want to have a commander who, you know, who who will make sure that that what you need to get done gets done. You know, no matter no matter casualties, no matter whatever it is, you know, you need to 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 focus on on what you're doing at that time. So, Stuart, right. the, the, the men are a means to an end, just like your logistics, your equipment. They are a way to accomplish the mission. That's correct. That's correct. So a, a military operation or a mission is a is coordinated military actions of, of a state or or sometimes a non-state that in response to a developing situation, the military plan to resolve this, the situation, uh, you know, the, the, the idea is that to, to, to resolve some sort of situation uh, in your own favor, obviously. Uh, most of them are referred to by some sort of code name that usually has a lot to do with national security. And the ironic part is, is that most people remember the code names more than what they actually were, were meant to do. You know, if you hear of some sort of, you know, Operation, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of one that, that uh, Operation Desert Storm, right? So you remember Desert Storm, you don't remember specifically all of the different actions within Operation Desert Storm or Desert Shield or any of those things. Uh, you, you were, were you in the military already at that point? Yeah, actually, I joined just as Desert Shield went into action, and then when it turned into a full engagement as uh, Operation uh, Desert Storm, that's when it became a full conflict, which is technically why I have a veteran status. That was like January 15th, right? If I remember correctly. Was, I knew it was beginning of January, mid, mid-January. When uh, you know the the ultimatum. Wait, but you 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 served in the Gulf at the time, or not? Or you were still uh, stateside? I served I served in the active duty military during that conflict. So um, I did not serve overseas. Right. I was in support of the naval intelligence mission for information gathering. Right. Okay. You don't have to tell. It's okay. It's I know it's been thirty three years. It's a secret. It was it was actually you know uh, a, a year or six months after this movie came out. <laughs> So <laughs> what's crazy is uh, w- w- that phrase, once you're in the intel community, you're technically always in the intelligence community. Correct. A- at any given time, if I were to put out a novel or something and somebody reviewed it and they go, oh, this looks like this may have been proprietary, I could be in trouble. Right. I'm technically anything I publish I'm supposed to have reviewed. right. Okay, it makes sense. I mean, I, I I work in an academic institution, and it the same way works there. If I think of any patented ideas or anything like that, you know, they can come to me and say, "Hey, well, you thought of that while you were under our auspices, so therefore it doesn't belong to you." You know, that type of thing. So yeah, I so I just never try to think of anything really creative. You know, just just about movies, and that that really you know doesn't cause any problem from that perspective. <laughs> 
And the response that Miller then gives him, yes, sir, but 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 Cochran, sir. You know, and and I mean, this is a strange reaction from someone who's supposedly a professional soldier. Granted, we don't know what type of situations Miller's been in before, if he's lost colleagues over the years. My assumption is he has, because the, the type of work that they do here is probably you know, very covert, even before they basically jump ship, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. So the the odds are they have lost uh, you know comrades in arms over the years, you know. So you'd think that that he would be more professional about it as opposed to like stammering and say, "But what what about Cochran?" You know, it's like the point is is who cares from the perspective that you know you got to get the 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 mission with saving Private Ryan, for instance. You know, the 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 mission is the man. You know that type of thing. What I what I think is different about this, and I think the reason he's acting this way is I don't think they expected any losses operating where they are here in an airport civilians they feel like i think they should have full complete control of the situation you're right it's a little off-putting that somebody who probably has been in a the, the type of military where you've probably seen some pretty grim action to be this concerned but if he's your buddy he's your buddy i mean okay no that's true i, I i'm not i'm not trying to belittle that at all obviously you know that makes sense but uh, still, it, I mean, again, this is being done for dramatic effects because at this point, you know, Stewart turns back to him and says, well, then the damage is minimal. The penalty, though, could be severe. And he flips around really quickly and, you know, immediately has his gun in hand and puts his gun right to, to Miller's uh, forehead and, mm-hmm. you know, just pulls the trigger really quickly. You know, doesn't even give Miller any chance to, to, to think about it. You know, and we hear the the click that there was no bullets in there, you know, which which makes you wonder why is Stuart walking around with a gun without any bullets in it? It could be just that he just didn't uh, chamber the bullet, but but still, you know, you, you'd want to be really careful not to not to kill one of your men, especially since you're a total of twelve men. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's strange because most people, especially like law enforcement, or if you were used to being in a combat situation, you don't generally leave your gun even if it's fully loaded you don't leave it with an empty chamber you you always want to rack one so it's ready to fire the minute that's you right and it also gives you the added bonus of putting another bullet in in the you know in the cartridge in movies you don't have to worry about that because you have you know the magic bullet theory that you can have as many bullets in the magazine as possible you know but in real life you want to have that extra bullet you know one chambered and uh, and a completely full uh, magazine and then Stuart then says something really strange. He goes, you fail me again, and the chamber won't be empty. Now, I'd like to know, how how did Miller fail him? Like, what did Miller do wrong here? If anyone did something wrong, it was Cochran, because Cochran's dead, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's that whole thing of uh, you're, he's ruling through fear, and he's, in his mind, it doesn't matter if you had anything to do with it or not. You came back, he didn't. You're a team, so that means one of you has to. Fa- one of you is going to be responsible for the failure of the mission. But but they didn't fail. The, Even if you accomplished your. But they didn't fail the mission. That's the whole thing. You know, they did right. accomplish their mission. They they were able to you mm-hmm. know to put whatever recording device in you know to tap into you know later on they're going to say they've been they've been tapping they've been tapping they've been tapped into your chit chat all evening or something like that. I think they say, you know, so. I don't know. It's just a little strange to me. Again, this is to show how ruthless Stewart is. There's no, there's no other reason for this. You know, this isn't something. Right. I. I agree. This isn't something that someone would really do. You, you'd think. It's also designed to show you if he's willing to treat his own people this way. Can you imagine people he doesn't quote unquote care about? Or That's want? right. That's right. And and what's great is is then Stewart says to him, dismissed. And it lingers on Miller's face a little longer than it really should. And you can see that he looks very angry. He's not scared. He's angry. You know, and, uh, you know, makes you wonder, what what is he thinking at that time? Is he thinking, all right, I got to get myself out of here. This is not a good place to be. This is not a safe place to be. Or maybe he's thinking something else. Maybe he's thinking, all right, how am I going to frag this guy? Yeah. It, there was definitely that moment of, Am I with the? Am I where I'm supposed to Correct. be? This guy's not. Safe. That's right. That's right. So it got me thinking about fragging. Okay. Um, now, do you know where the term fragging comes from? Fragging. Well. Uh, yes. 
Do you know what a fragging is? Well, when we play first-person shooters, that's considered a kill. So when you frag somebody, so I'm assuming it stems from a fragmentation grenade or a typical grenade when you frag somebody. That is correct. But fragging, what I'm referring to, is the idea of you know killing killing either your uh, another soldier or your superior. Oh, on really? Purpose. It's supposed to be on you know, something that, that yeah. You've never heard that phrase yep. before. You've never heard of the phrases in in Vietnam movies where they're talking we're going to frag his ass or things like that. I never thought of it in the terms of it's a, somebody's it's, more it's friendly. I always thought that that's when you just decided you were taking somebody out. I didn't know it was I... okay. So so in it 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 actually entered the military vernacular during Vietnam, where basically you know a lot of guys were trying to you know they they had commanders that that were taking them on dangerous missions, so they decided they were just going to get rid of them, and they would normally just throw a grenade into you know their into the room or whatever mm-hmm. it is and kill them. You know, the, I, I mean, I did a, uh, I mean, I found that, that there are documented and suspected fragging incidents between 1969 and 1972 in Vietnam. How many do you think there were? How many soldiers uh, or groups of soldiers do you think killed their commanders or other soldiers because they were doing dangerous things? What would be your guess? Between three years, 69 to 72. Uh, I actually have no idea. I didn't even know that that was a, a I mean. I always thought it was more of a movie thing than a real thing. So a couple dozen. 904. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. So so basically, you know, of the, the 57,000 men that died in Vietnam, nearly 1,000 of them were, were killed by their own men. It gives me goosebumps thinking about that. I, the fact that, I can't you know, even wrap my mind around that. And we're not even referring to – this doesn't even refer to friendly, friendly fire because there, there were a lot of incidents where, where people, you know, got, got upset at someone else and just shot them. You know, in the middle of of uh, of some sort of military action or things like that. You know, there there are friendly fire incidents during Vietnam that you know are suspected of being deliberate. You know, they're like, okay, we're going to shoot that that person. I mean, it, it, I'm I'm really shocked that you've never heard the phrase before, Frank. No, not you know, in any type not of not the terms of taking out somebody on your own side. Okay, I mean, again, this is this, this is something that I've heard so many times in in Vietnam movies or Vietnam, you know. Different things related to Vietnam. They would always talk about fragging. Even in Platoon, they talk about it. You know, they, they they mention it. And the reason it's called fragging is because, you know, grenades were just lying around all over the place. And it was that simple to just pick one up and, you know, mm-hmm. take someone out with it. And that's why they started calling it fragging. As, as long as there have been military conflicts, armed conflicts, so there have been people that have, you know, killed other people on their side on purpose, you know, and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, as I said, the, the term fragging only started in Vietnam. One of the reasons that they would that people would do it was because grenades are untraceable. Mm. It's not like they can say, OK, this is this is the guy. This grenade belongs to uh, Jones or whatever it is. You know, it's 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 not like your gun, your gun. You know, they know the serial number of your gun theoretically is you or it should be you. You know, sometimes you might pick up a different gun or something like that, but but a grenade is not something that that they're going to mark down and say, okay, this particular grenade was given to this particular right. soldier. Okay, right. So most of these incidents were reported in either the the army or the marines. It was very rare among the navy or air force. Why would you uh, think that would because be? Because those guys were not frontline in dealing with the actual mission firefights on the ground. More likely, they were support and missions. In, from a safer place. Okay, that that is true. But in addition, there were less grenades <laughs> lying around where the Navy I guess, I guess and that's Air Force personnel. As well, yes. <laughs> yeah, we in the <laughs> yeah. Navy were not issued grenades on a daily basis. <laughs> we didn't go down to the grenades are us and pick up you know another you know another round of uh, a belt full of them. We just uh, yeah we didn't have that. We didn't have that. Right, correct. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, basically, I, I have a quote here that, that, that someone said, fragging was seen by enlisted men as the most effective way to discourage their superiors from showing enthusiasm for combat. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take us to the front line. <laughs> so I, I was also looking up then, you know, of, of famous incidents or in history where people were, were killed by their own men because they were just really upset at the way that they were doing things. So in 1704, in the Battle of Blenheim, okay, there was a, a major who was very unpopular in the 15th Regiment of Foot, and uh, his own men, they, they won the battle and then shot their, shot their <laughs> commander because they didn't like him. 
1777, in the Battle of Saratoga, the ranking German officer, Colonel Heinrich von Bremen, was so upset about the way that, that his men were performing that he began to, to, to use his sword and start slashing at them. And one of them just pulled out a gun and shot him. <laughs> in 1847, during the Mexican-American War, there was a lieutenant colonel named Braxton Bragg, who later became a Confederate general, who twice survived attempts on his life when, when his men put artillery shells uh, under his bed and exploded them. But he somehow survived. <laughs> oh, okay. In World War I, there was an unpopular British sergeant who was murdered by one of his men when they came up and dropped a grenade down his pants. That'll do it. <laughs> and then ran away. Yes. The, the the final one that I have here is is the Hamburger Hill, the Battle of Hamburger Hill. Have you ever yeah, you've great, heard of that or not? Great movie. Have you seen the movie? I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Yes, that's a great movie. It shows you know how that there's no meaning behind what you do in war. You know that type of thing. <laughs> After. They, they had so many casualties during the Battle of Hamburger Hill. There was a, an underground newspaper known as G.I. Says that they had in, in Vietnam, and they placed a $10,000 bounty on Colonel Welton Honeycutt, who was in charge of, of that particular battle. And there were many people who tried to frag him over the course wow. of the next few months. So, so yeah, you, you got to be a little bit careful, more careful with what you're doing there. You know, I can, I can see that as a problem. <laughs> yeah, I call that so, yes. It's bad enough when you've got enemies <laughs> shooting at you. You don't need your own men wanting to take you out, too. That's right. That's right. And then, so at, at this point, Miller just, you know, after he gives us this glaring look, he just turns around and, and walks away. And then we're, we're, we're back in a bustling office. We see a whole bunch of people all around, you know, causing a lot of commotion. We see John enter. We see like a, a, an elderly woman looks like complaining about something. You know, there's a lot of hustle and bustle here. There's a whole bunch of Christmas decorations around, you know, just to give you the idea that that they're really mm -hmm. busy here. Come on, it, it's Christmas, so why not? And then John, you know, walks in with uh, two police officers around him, and you can sort of hear some of the. I mean, you when when you look at the subtitles of movies, you can sometimes hear different uh, voices that you didn't really expect to hear that you don't normally hear. Like, I've seen this movie so many times, and the, the quotes that I'm about to give you right now, I've never heard before. But when you're looking at it and watching the, the subtitles, you see. So this elderly woman says, Miss, Miss, I can't find my dog. Miss, my dog. And then someone responds, One minute, ma'am. And then someone else says, I want you to fill out this form. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like little throwaway things, which which they could just be ADR'd in, but the idea is that they're showing how busy this place mm -hmm. is. I guess they're trying to give an excuse as to why the, the, this guy that we're about to, to meet is, is just too busy. We, we see cops like standing around uh, drinking coffee. And then there, there's there's a guy in a very strange hat. I don't know if you noticed him right before John enters the room. It looks like he just, you know, he, he's got like a he's got on a gray suit but like a blue hat, like a blue top hat type of thing. You know, he's carrying like a Christmas present. Yeah. Do you see what I'm talking about? It's like at second 43. Yeah, he just, he just looks like he's completely out of place there. You know what's crazy though? That doesn't bother me at all because I, one of the people I interview, um, our election supervisor for our county, he's bald, but he's a younger guy and he hates the fact that he's bald. So he likes to wear a hat every day. And that's the exact style of hat that he wears every single day. Just like this guy, all day, all day, he wears it. He like indoors, outdoors. Well, I'm sure he matter. takes it off. But he's always wearing. When you see him out and about, he's wearing a hat. Looks just like that guy in the background. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Like, I, the, like the cool. Tom Landry style uh, coach for the Dallas uh, Cowboys. Uh, it's not a wide brimmed hat, but it is a, a a type of fedora with a much narrower brim and just a little bit of a flare from the back. Yeah. Okay, that, that's really cool. So, so when you look at this guy, you you think of that that guy from work. That's I, what I you're don't telling think, me. I, I think of somebody who's just like this other guy that uh, you know, and, and it does remind me. And I've said this multiple times. I almost wish we would get back to the day where men wore hats as an accessory, you know, with their suits. You see, it it just stopped all of a sudden. But I kind of like it. I don't have one, but I like it. 
So why don't? So I was gonna say, if you like it so much, then why why don't you walk around with with a hat? They, you know, they say if you wear a hat all the time, you're you will lose your hair. So maybe that's why you're you're afraid of doing that. Yep, I wear a ball. I wear a ball cap a lot. That's what I wear. <laughs> I'll wear a ball cap. I'll wear it to work. I'll wear it all in around. Uh, that's the thing that usually gets my wife a little irked with me. She's like, "You're wearing t-shirt, jeans, and a ball cap. You're not a twelve-year-old. Dress like you're supposed to." Um. Okay. Why? <laughs> why not? I, I don't have a problem with that. I my most comfortable outfit, t-shirt and jeans. I can go anywhere and I feel fine. Yeah, I'm the same way. You know, I mean, I'm I'm I, as far as I'm concerned, I can also just walk around in in shorts and a t-shirt. Also, no problem. You know, shorts, t-shirts, and sandals, perfect for me. Unfortunately, no, I can't do that for work. No bare you feet. Know. Sorry. I said sandals. Yeah. I said still, sandals. You still have feet out. You have toes out there. <laughs> All right. So so sandals with socks. Is that better? No. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure that would make me look real hip. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> and and as John is about to walk in, we hear another sound uh, of someone talking, and they say, my passport was in it. Yes. So apparently there's someone who lost her passport. <laughs> I like a lot of that Phil dialogue that we don't normally think about, but is there to set the, the, the audio mood of the what we're seeing. Correct, and it also helps make the the area, the 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 scene feel uh, more genuine and more real because there are, you know, in real life you will hear extraneous sounds of people talking, you know, all the time. It's not right. it's not like that you only hear the people that 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 you're being focused on, you know. So so it right. tells you, okay, you know, there there is more going on here, that type of thing. And then we 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 see we get a, a few seconds of a shot of of a door with uh, a name stenciled on it. It's Carmine Lorenzo. You know, don't know who that is. <laughs> he must be the captain that they were talking about. You gotta ask the captain. <laughs> and then as the door opens, it's a great shot because you can see through the blinds. You know, you you see mm -hmm. Dennis Franz sitting at his desk uh, drinking his coffee. Uh, with with uh, what looks like a cigarette in his you know in his hand, but it's a great shot. One of the things they do though before they even open the door, which I like, is they and, and maybe you're talking the same thing, but through the words they do a rack focus where the camera is actually focused first on the lettering, so he's blurred way in the background. It's just this mm -hmm. barely discernible yeah. blue blob, but then they rack focus the lens to go into the room putting him in focus, the words become blurred, and yet those words are superimposed on him, as if telling the audience, this is who Carmine Lorenzo is. Let's open the door. Yes. <laughs> and, and you know, now, now we get to know who he is. Right. We get Dennis Franz's audition reel for NYPD Blue. Yes, for sure. <laughs> I have no doubt in my mind that this movie helped contribute to that. No question about it. I'm sure, except I think he's a little more competent in NYPD Blue. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but I think his disposition, his mannerism, his characterization, I would argue is very similar. I don't think there's a big stretch between what we're seeing as Captain Lorenzo here versus the role he played on NYPD Blue in terms of his delivery, his kind of day-to-day -day acting. Yeah, but at least here he keeps his clothes on, so we're, we're good with that. Well, there is that. <laughs> yes. And, hey, if you're going to break the if you're going to break a TV protocol with something really cutting edge, it's Dennis Franz. I want to see. That's mm. <laughs> well, maybe, you know, what? there's probably people listening who have no idea what we're talking about. All right, so you know that that is very possible because because they they've been watching TV for, for 30 years where it's not a problem to show someone's butt. You know, and uh, so for those who are uninitiated and don't know, so when NYPD Blue came out in 1993, that was the first time that they started swearing more on TV shows. You know, they, they got permission to start swearing and they also mm -hmm. had partial nudity. You know, they would they would right. show, you know, the they would show uh, backsides <laughs> or they would show side, side views of of people without clothes and stuff like that. But nothing. You know, nothing, nothing too graphic, but at least it would make you see that, you know, it makes things look look more uh, realistic, I guess you could say. Right. And and this was on network television. This wasn't cable. This wasn't streaming. This wasn't a service. This was gu guided by the FCC here, at least in the United States, the Federal Communications Commission. 
And everybody was writing and talking about it as being, look how edgy they're, they're getting away with this. They're pushing the envelope of what's allowable on television. What, what makes me wonder is, is that, you know, you're saying they were pushing the envelope. So, you know, it, there was there were clear rules as to what you can and can't do. So then the question is, is right. you know, so how are they pushing the envelope? Are they basically saying, you know, was it because they were fighting with the idea that, you know, these things should should be OK to, to say, to do and things like that? Well, I think the, the, their argument was well, we want a gritty, realistic show portraying real people doing this real tough job. And they were. You know, they weren't they were they were always they always argue, well, this is germane to the story, you know. It's not just in there for excitement and titillation, it's it's part of the character. Right. But in all honesty, yeah. And and that's evolved over time. I remember, which I thought was really weird. You look back at a time there were times when in sitcoms you couldn't show, even if they were married, a man and a woman in the same bed. They would be in two separate beds. That's correct. Like that was just on television, you couldn't. And you up until no, but you couldn't even – it wasn't that you couldn't show them in bed together. You couldn't even show their bedroom that they had a, a double bed. They had to have beds on opposite sides of – you know, they had to have like a night table in between them and stuff like that. Right, right. And then I think it was the uh, All in the Family. Is that the first time they had a toilet flush? Because you weren't allowed to hear a toilet flush on television. That was considered obscene. I, I think it might have um, been all in the family, but I remember something with a toilet. I think Leave it to Beaver was the first time you saw a toilet. Could be. Right. Um, I know like the first interracial kiss came on Star Trek in the 60s. That wasn't allowed. You know, right. It's just really weird that there were all of these sort of rules of what was acceptable, what was moral, what was responsible for the for the general public, because, you know, the FCC is the guardian of the public airwaves and they got to make sure that they're not upsetting the public. And it, and if you look over time, it has definitely eroded to where we are today. Yes. But uh, some would say it gives us better quality productions and some would say it's gotten more immoral. Correct. Depends on how you look at that. Now, I mean, just a quick look at, at IMDb. It basically says that prior to the show's premiere and immediately afterwards, there was enormous controversy over what was perceived to be high levels of offensive language and nudity. Many affiliates refused to air the show, and several advertisers boycotted it. Even Bochco negotiated intensely with the network for a certain amount of language and nudity to be allowed. He has said that because of the pressure on the network for this from this criticism, the show would likely not have survived had it not been an instant hit. So I guess it, it worked well for them that the, the, the show worked. <laughs> it's one of those things where the publicity certainly made people curious enough to try to give it a, a go. I know there's a lot of people that probably wouldn't have stayed up to watch it until they heard about the, the controversy and it was all over the news. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, I want to watch this show. I, I, it's in the news. I, I would like to see for myself what this is all about. Right. And he's right. Stephen Bosco, the, uh, the showrunner, he's absolutely right. Just because they all tuned in for a couple episodes, they wouldn't have had a hit show if it was if it wasn't well done. Correct. And thankfully, it was. Yeah. No, it's it's a great show. It's one of those it's one of those shows I want to go back and rewatch at some point. But there there are like 260 episodes, so that you know you, mm -hmm. you got to find time for that. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, a long running series. Yeah, that's true. And and I mean, the first season got 26 Emmy nominations. I mean, that that's just amazing. Mm -hmm. And I I think it also. I think part of the the idea of of why Bochka wanted to make it so gritty was because that was the time when cable shows were starting to become you know more popular. People were watching the cable shows because there you could show more nudity in language. So he was basically mm -hmm. trying to convince that okay, you got to do something more here. You got to you know. Yep. And uh, yeah, so yeah. Now you see now now I now I want to go start want, go back and watch uh, NYPD Blue. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll look for the first episode and rewatch it at some point. <laughs> yeah, at, le at least season one. You can binge that over a weekend, right? Uh, sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to do anything else. Uh, that's my problem. I have, you know, I have movies to watch. Also, you know, I have, I have preparation, you know, for a podcast to do. There, there are other, and you know, I have, I have regular life too. You know, uh, my family. So I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll try and find ways to, 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 you know, to. In between to find things, I, I'm, I'm sure you can you can you can trust me to, that I'll be able to do that. Yeah. Oh, I I, I find <laughs> I find no uh, doubt in my mind that you will carve out the time. Yes, yes, yes. I have so many things on my list waiting for me to watch that I just don't get to, because I have so many other things <laughs> I watched beforehand. You know, and TV show. I, well, I I tend to not watch as many TV shows because TV shows is you know you have to give a lot more time 
to to watching a TV show because you know if you have 24 episodes so that's uh, like 18 hours of stuff but if you watch a movie it's two hours you know and and it's all all uh, all done you know the story's all done well what I actually have enjoyed what I have really enjoyed every time you and I end up recording something or chatting it spurs a, a memory we bring up something and then all of a sudden you go ah, I need to go back and rewatch it and next thing you know I see you put a post I already reviewed this once, but now I'm reviewing it again. Thanks to having uh, this conversation on my podcast. And uh, I love when they trigger our, our conversations, trigger us to want to go watch something we talked about. Correct. You're right. And, and, and that happens all the time. You know, I, I, I get that all the time. And that that's, you know, that that's why it's great talking about these things because, you know, you, you do have memories that, that, that pop up and say, Hey, you know, I remember I, a few years ago, I watched that movie or saw that TV show. And, you know, now I, I want to see it again, you know, that type of thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, some, some of us know how to find the time to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, some do more than others. I do find time to binge uh, more shows, I think, than you, but I don't watch many shows, but the ones I do watch, I try to make time for those. I think that's the problem. Maybe that's the reason I don't get caught up into so many shows because I am so busy, not only doing kind of uh, guests on other podcasts, but I've got a, a daily talk show. I do, I've got morning radio. I do. Um, I fill in in other places. I'm always on top of what's going on. Plus, my wife and I are doing this whole homesteading thing. Um, not as much free time to just sit down for day after day after day and just binge. So I have to pick my my moments. Right. Okay, that's true. That, that that's fair. You know, and uh, I I completely understand that. You know, we we see Dennis Franz uh, sipping his coffee, having his uh, cigarette in his in his in his hand, and looking at some sort of paper as the door uh, swings open. And then, uh, you know, John, like, comes in very politely to the room. I, I love the, I mean, the, the first thing you see is uh, above John, you see, like, a propeller on the, uh, you know, on the wall. Mm -hmm. You know, like, some people have, like, deer heads and stuff like that. And apparently, uh, uh, apparently, Carmine Lorenzo was able to kill a plane at some point. So he just mounted it on his, on, on the wall. Uh, one of the old prop style, you know, so it was a little slower, a little probably a little easier to get. Yeah, that's true. You, you think it's supposed to be like maybe a clock? It would be really cool if that was a clock. No, I think it, it actually is. <laughs> I don't think it's a clock. I, I honestly think that just because you know it's just a the police station inside the airport. It's a reminder that this is not just a regular police station. It's the airport. Police. Right. Okay, that's true. But uh. I, and, and it's funny to see that because that's the first thing I thought of because you you've got no choice you watch uh, you know John McClane cross in front of you know his the, the line of he's walking into the room it's right behind his head you can't yeah for sure and and then we hear John say Captain Lorenzo yeah I'm John McClane and do did you notice what he has in his hand what what uh, Carmine has in his hand do you know what he's looking at well besides uh. He's got. It looks like a, a rap sheet with someone's mugshot and finger. Okay. Do you know what, who that is? Uh, I can't see close enough on my screen. He has John John McClane's uh, dossier in front of him. If you look, if really you, is that what that's If you to look be? at the picture, you can see that that's a picture of Bruce Willis. At at second forty eight, it's very clear that you can see it. Yeah, I'm looking right now. Then it's. Uh, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I honestly, because of the, and I'm looking at my uh, monitor. I mean, I guess it, I guess it could be, but why would he have John McClane's fingerprint? No, he has his he has his right, dossier. Could be he's checking out who John McClane is. So it makes sense. Well, and and kind of a thin dossier considering how long John McClane's been a cop. It's one page, half of it's fingerprints, my dude. <laughs> So then Lorenzo goes, yeah, yeah, I know who you are. You just broke seven FAA and five District of Columbia regulations running around my airport with a gun shooting at people. And I, I love that this is our introduction to him. You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. I spent too much time trying to find out what the FAA regulations are and, you know, the, the, the District of Columbia regulations to try and figure out, you know, what what laws John broke. Um, I, I couldn't figure it out, you know, because I, I found, I found like a, a 500 page thing about FAA regulations, but there was, when, when I looked at the headings, there was nothing that said anything about, uh, you know, about, about a policeman carrying a firearm. 
Right. So what I got from this, I didn't get that there were actually that many regulations. This is the same bureaucratic BS that cops will throw around when they're trying to be like intimidating to other people or show you who's in charge. You know, there's, there's those scenes in almost any of these movies. You know, I got you on at least 12 different violations of the municipal code. It's like, well, for what, a broken taillight? I mean, come on. You know, it's it, it, they try to figure ways they can throw the book at you. And it just felt like to me more from the writing perspective, a typical thing that a bureaucrat is going to say, I, you're the guy that did all of the things that are going to cause me heartache, you know, and they're going to, right. no, obviously, but I just thought it would be fun if I were able to find some place that had, you know, the FAA regulations and it would say, okay, these are the, the seven things that you broke. You know, I, that would have been, that would have been really, I, I would have completely shocked you if I said to you, Hey, Alan, guess what? I know which seven uh, FAA regulations and five district regulations John just <laughs> broke, but because it's all BS, eh, I wasn't able to find that. So I and I spent way too much time mm-hmm. looking for it, you know. And and, <laughs> and I would imagine whatever they were in 1990 are completely different correct. than today. That is correct. So yeah, and and that's how this minute ends. You know, we we have you know the nice conversation between Stuart and, and Miller and then we get a nice conversation between John and 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 Lorenzo and and I think it's 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 really interesting that the way this minute is set up that basically we have 30 seconds of this and 30 seconds of that so we have you know two of the bad guys shoring things up and then on the other side you have two of the good guys shoring things up you know and and mm-hmm. obviously I doubt it was done on purpose that we would have this within a minute right um, what I I do think it was designed to be a scene back to back. It just happens to fall in this minute cleanly. I will tell you what I liked about what this movie did, and I didn't appreciate it as much the first time watching it. It's the, it's the consecutive rewatches of how they purposely do set Lorenzo up as the bureaucrat. He falls into that role of the loudmouth bureaucrat, always you know thinks he knows everything, doesn't want anyone doesn't want anyone kind of, you know, messing with his system, doesn't doesn't like a fly in the ointment, if you will. <laughs> um, but because of that, we have this stereotypical view of where he'll be by the end of the movie. And I think it's nice. We get a, a shift from Dennis Franz by the time we get to the end. And it's great because it plays on the script and the way the movie, the directing goes, plays on our stereotypes. We just assume he's going to be the loudmouth uh, braggart who get basically like what happened in, in Die Hard One? He's you know the the lieutenant who shows up who is the, is the bull who's talking to him? Who's talking to him? Any situation? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. So uh, so it gives us this idea that oh that's who this guy's going to be. He's the new Dwayne T. Robinson. Yeah, and uh, not being, but I like it because it it lulls you into assuming that the way he carries himself in the first I'd say two thirds yeah, of the movie. That's true. And I definitely agree with that. I mean, again, we we know that that in every one of these movies, they they try and stick somewhat to the same formula. So you have similar characters played by different, you know, similar uh, stereotypes of characters that will be there, you know, in order to be around John, you know, for him to stay his wisecracking uh, best self as he always is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have anything else you want to say about the, this minute? No, not about this minute. Uh, you want to say something about? You want to say something about a different minute? <laughs> well what i was gonna say with all of the fantastic actors in this we talked about dennis franz getting his you know debut here with our minute and you know we talked about nypd blue but i mean everything from william sadler who we just had to john amos to fred thompson there are a lot of great individual characters and actors and there's it's it's such a fun movie to watch those individual actors take on their roles i think fred thompson is just one of those fun guys to just watch and listen to and uh when you get to him as uh the uh the, you know controller uh, over the airport um i, I love it i and i wish i wish I, I can't wait to hear those minutes because those are some of my favorite moments because he at least is one of those guys that is weighing what's right and you just feel like he's just a good mm-hmm. person. He's not going to necessarily get swayed by one or the other. And he always conveys that in every role I ever say I ever saw him in before he passed away. Um, yeah, he's just he can do such a great amount in a short yeah. period okay. of time. That that's fair. I, I I definitely agree with you on that one. So you you're in for a lot of fun. I can oh, tell of you that. Of course I am. <laughs> you're I know for that. A really good time. <laughs> for this movie. There's that. There's no question about. And 
and I just want to say thank you. I'll say it again at the end, but and I'm just thankful that I got a chance to be with you for a full week. Yeah, we, we were able to stretch it out over like months. So that that works too. <laughs> to keep the momentum going. <laughs> no, that's that's that you're pulling the curtain too far back. That's People okay. Don't know that's that. fine. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the script. So the the script is actually quite short for this minute. Um, and there's there's a lot in the movie that doesn't appear in the script. So first of all, you have Miller show up and he says, a policeman, he killed Cochran. I barely got away. Stewart says, did you finish your assignment? Yes, sir. But then the damage is minor, drawing a pistol. But the penalty could be severe. In a blur of motion, Stewart is on his feet. The pistol is at Miller's temple. Click. As Miller uh, shudders, fail me again and it won't be an empty chamber. Dismissed. <laughs> and then, then it jumps to the airport. It says McLean comes in to the airport police office, first double-taking the name on the door, Carmine Lorenzo, captain of airport police. The man himself, a 20-year veteran of bureaucratic wars that have earned him his little kingdom, rises behind his desk. Lorenzo says, you, glancing at a fax, McLean, Lorenzo? Captain Lorenzo. And McLean shows him his badge and says, I'm the one who... And then Lorenzo cuts him off, and he actually will talk about the dialogue that Lorenzo says is dialogue that we're going to get next week. You know, none of what he says here about the regulations and stuff like that appears in the script. So, you know, I, I, I wonder, and we will never know, if this is something that, you know, Dennis Braun said, you got to add here, or it's something that, you know, Rennie Harlan said, let's let's add to it, or something like that. But we shall never know. That's why I always find it fun to go through the script, to see the the differences and try to guess how, how that came about. Every Friday, I have a segment called Where Are They Up To This Weekend? Which I'm sure you've been wondering all week or actually probably months since you first were told about this, Alan, what it is that we're going to be doing here. You have any idea? Any clue? No. No. All right. So basically, we've gone through 20 minutes of this movie. All right. And, you know, many of my guests have done uh, Movies by Minute podcasts. Others, you know, who are on the show have their favorite movies and stuff like that. So what I decided to do was to, to, to have a little fun with, with my guests and see how good their memory is so that they can tell us what is going on in some of their favorite movies at the 20-minute mark. All right, so you've done two Movies by Minute. <laughs> you've done two <laughs> Movies by Minute podcasts. You said... No preparation. That's right. You put in your notes. That is correct. No need for the guests to prepare. That is correct. You don't need to prepare. These are movies that you're supposed to know, you know, backwards and forwards. So, uh -huh. so uh, you know, it's 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 all in jest. It's all for the fun of it. Don't worry. You know, I give I'll give you a little bit of leeway here. So, all right, we're you, okay. you've you've done two seasons of of movies by minute the first one was young frankenstein so do you have any idea what was going on at around the 20 minute mark on young frankenstein oh let me think i know where we were i'll give with... you i'll give you a hint of what you can do to try to remember i don't know if this will help you okay but but what i try to do to try and remember what's going on in a movie uh that i've done minute by minute is i try and think of who my guest was at that particular point and then that sometimes helps well, me to, to, to remember what we talked about and where they were up. Uh, let me think, because we're talking five plus years ago. Have you, you've not seen, <laughs> once again, you've not seen Young Frankenstein since then? No. Oh, I've watched it a couple of times. No, I take it back. No, shame it on you. Shame it's on not you. like a, a movie I go to <laughs> annual, oh, maybe around Halloween, maybe we do it. So I do, I, I know it well enough. Oh, minute 20. I, I would have no idea without looking up the, the guest. I have no earthly idea. I, I know it's real stunning for the audience. Do you want to try and give a guess? Oh, let me think. It feels like around minute 20, they would have had to have been already inside the castle and probably looking. Is it when they were exploring the bookshelf? I'm going to go somewhere where they're either past or looking past the bookshelf, heading down to try to find the secret laboratory. Nope. It's actually that's that takes place after the 20 minute mark. The 20 minute mark is when they just get to the castle. They just arrive. OK, they right just arrived. The they're wolf. They're castle. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you talking that way? I thought you wanted to <laughs> walk this way. Um <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. So now let's go to the next one. Blazing Saddles. What do you think was happening in Blazing Saddles at the 20 minute mark? Uh, probably the scene where they're going to have, uh, uh, when they come into governor, um, the governor's office and he's playing with Miss Stein behind the curtain. Uh, no, that, that's, that's when oh. he comes, he comes in later, uh, with, when, when he's playing behind the curtain, that, that's a few minutes later, but right here, this is when, uh, Hedley Lamar comes, comes into, in, into the governor's office. So, so you were close. You, you got the fact that it was the governor's office, you know, and, uh, okay. you know, that, that's when we see, I mean, he does have the, 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 the woman next to him. You know, and, and uh, Headley at this point is trying to, you know, it's it's right before they start playing with the uh, paddle balls and stuff like that. Gotcha. Okay, so it's, it's the first meeting. It's the it's yes. the actual governor's cabinet meeting. Yes, where where he's got no pants and uh, you know he has to help him sign his name. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> just imagine your secretary, sir. There you go. Put it right in. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> There All right. you go. Here. All right. So well, I'm I'm sorry to have put you on the spot on that, Alan. But uh, oh, that's yeah. okay. I, but I, have I just think it was fun. About those minutes in so long, and ironically, I know you're giving me sort of as you as you think of them and and go through them, you're giving me your rundown of Blazing Saddles and the guests, and so you would think I'd be a little bit more up to speed on that one. But that's an interesting mind exercise because we did spend an entire season breaking each of those down. It just starts to get lost in the amount of volume between guests and talk. Yeah, no, it, it, it's very, it gets very blurry along the way for sure. You know, because we're talking about so many different things and, and that's going on at the same time. And one of those weird things, I know there are people who, when they do a movie or when they do a recording, they go back and they listen and then they go back and they listen or they go back and watch. Cause they just, they get enamored with it. Maybe the way they performed or the way they look. I've never been that. It's hard because in radio, you're supposed to give yourself actual like radio checks, listen to yourself. What could you have done better? What could you have done worse? But I don't enjoy, like I hear all the mistakes. <laughs> so I don't go back and listen to myself uh, as nearly often as I should. I don't go back and replay the shows and go, wow, this was a brilliant show. <laughs> you know, I just, I've never, I'm more on the opposite side of, tell me what you think. I, I, I don't feel like listening to it myself. Right. Okay. I, I, I hear what you're saying with that. I mean, I, I do the editing and I don't, you know, I don't re-listen to the show afterwards. Uh, maybe at some point I will go back and re-listen to some of my shows, but yeah, mm-hmm. but, but that just goes back to the whole idea of, of time, you know, which is something we don't, right. none of us have, <laughs> you know, and if right. I'm going to listen. Thing. I've got other things I'd rather listen to than the show that I already recorded once. And like you said, edited, I did all the editing just like you. So, you know, I spent a lot of time with each episode. Um, but there's there's other things to go to now. Correct. I mean I that, want that's people what... who have never stumbled across the show to go like it, but you know I've already seen it. I've already talked well, about it. Which which is why that's what I'm doing. I'm I'm now you know in the middle of of, of uh, listening to your show. You know I'm I'm 35 or 36 episodes in. You know so I'm a little more than a third of the way through. At some point you know I, whenever I get a chance I listen to an episode here so there and and for me at least. It's sometimes very addictive because you listen to one show and you're like, okay, I want to now listen to the next one. You know, you don't want to, mm-hmm. you, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to listen. You know, when, when a new show comes out, so one episode comes out that day and that's it. You can't listen to anything else. You know, you're, 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 even if you want to listen to another show, you have to wait until the following day. But something that has already been released, it's a little easier to just say, oh, well, you know what? Why don't I just binge this and watch a few episodes uh, along the way? All right. So, Alan, do you want to, for one last time uh, this week, tell people how they can get in touch with you? Uh, You can just find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Getter Truth Social. If you want to reach out directly, you just search for The Alan Sanders Show. If you want to find this show, The Wilder Ride on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Very easy. You can find them on your podcatchers of choice. Just search for The Wilder Ride, where season one we broke down, as you mentioned in this uh, mental exercise, Young Frankenstein, followed by blazing saddles we also then two more seasons where it turned into more of a guest talk show kind of a late night with some goofy bits great guests and still fairly evergreen all of that content so if you're just now hearing about it for the first time go check it out all right and finding me is very simple just do a quick search for movie rob minute you can find me on twitter you can find me on facebook or you can go directly to my website moverobminutes.com this is probably a good point also to to to, to mention to everybody because because you and i 
uh, are both involved in the Movies by Minute community. Our, our, our guru, Jim Okano, he says, you know, uh, you know, you, you need to at least give a little bit of credit to, to the people that came before us and the people who will hopefully come after us. You know, you can go to the website moviesbyminute.com and you can see the list of, I think there are about 230 something movies that are currently listed there. Uh, that that have been dissected this way, mm -hmm. movies by minute, like uh, Alan and I have have been enjoying to do for 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 numerous years, each of us. And you know, you can go there, find some of your favorite movies, listen to the podcast. Uh, you know how how different uh, people have different takes on how they break break things down minute by minute. And you know, if you know, you see one of your favorite movies that's not there, you can uh, join join mm -hmm. the uh, group. Join, join, join the asylum. You know, be crazy like the rest of us and look at movies, movie uh, minute by minute. Community of movies by minute is is a very helpful community. So anyone who's just getting started off, uh, there are many of us out there that are willing to help. Uh, we'd be willing to guest. We'd be willing to to give advice, uh, explain different pitfalls that you should try to avoid, different tips to to mm -hmm. do. You know, that's uh, moviesbyminute.com. So Alan, I want to thank you once again for joining me this week. No, thank you. No, I had a, I was just going to say the same thing, you know, the, and, and I, a hundred percent, everything you just said, the nail on the head. Um, it is a very helpful. I remember I had to ask those questions early on. Uh, you all, everybody finds their own voice. Everybody figures their own way of approaching it, but it's the, the pitfalls, the things to think about the timing, what, how many should you record maybe ahead of time? Uh, it, it's those things that they're all willing to share. And I don't know anybody that I reached out to that said, no, you figured out by yourself. No, everybody was so, so immensely helpful. Yeah, yeah that's very true. And I, I'm the same way. I, I got so much advice, even from you, over the over the, the course of, of these five seasons. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm I still learning as I'm going along. You know, there, 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 nothing oh, nothing yeah. is ever perfect. And, you, you know, you, 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 you figure out what works and what doesn't work. And if you need to, to change direction, change things, you just do it along the way. All right. So, Alan, thank you mm -hmm. very much for joining me this week. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you about movies. Love it. I love being invited and can't wait till the next one. Me too. Me too. I, I'm, I'm still going through this one, but, you know, I'm, I, my, my mind is already racing for the next one. But I, I will hopefully get there in a few months. You are a machine, sir. Uh, you churn through this like it's you are a machine. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, it, you know, I, just, I have a system. That's what, you know, I, I work the system, I work the system into my life and therefore it doesn't interrupt in my, in my, in my regular life because it's, you know, it's done as a system. So that works for me. I will be back on Monday with a new guest. So have a great weekend, everybody. And until then, yippee kaye Yippee kaye If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air. Quaint little village.